Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together and uplift one another. And uh, may we share and, and uh, encourage one another to do service in your vineyard, uh, wherever it is, whether it's at our own office or school or church uh, or overseas. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit be here, be with me, and give me clarity of thought. And speak through me in your name I pray, amen. So amen, the theme for this year is called to service. And it's to encourage each of us as doctors, dentists, eye doctors, eye surgeons, nurses, pastors, any lay person to be involved in medical evangelism in all its many forms, whether it's medical care, vision care, dental care, community help teams, providing services to community needs, health and lifestyle seminars, praying with patients on our own clinics, or whatever capacity that you're in. It's a call to service. But this lecture is designed to help one answer the call to service, specifically overseas. And so we're going to give some examples later of how one could go about structuring an efficient yet effective overseas mission clinic in a variety of different settings. So I have to thank Dr. Dennis Benedict because he's to blame for all of my trips and <laughs> in this, this lecture even because he's the one uh, several years ago back in 2000, well, he started on me probably in 2012 for a couple of years at least um, ribbing me a little bit trying to get me to go on overseas mission trips. And finally, I said, okay, Dennis, you know, it's one of those that you kind of dread to see him coming because you know what he's going to say. And I said, all right, Dennis, I said, I'll make a deal with you. I will go if you will go with me. And so the next one that you go on, you call me, and if I can do it, I will. So he did. And um, long story short, we ended up going to Costa Rica in 2014 and had a great time. And since then, I have been to... Peru, and Mongolia, and Moldova, and shortly to Kenya. So how many in the room have gone on overseas mission trips, medical mission trips? Good. So all of you could be up here saying the same thing that I have, and what you've probably learned is that no two mission trips are alike. You will think, okay, I, I've kind of got my grasp on this, and so after I uh, went on my first one without Dennis, um, which would have been my second trip, I'm like, well, I, at least I have a little idea of what we did down there, and it did help me a lot, but then you've got to change it, because it wasn't the same. And so, um, but these are our learning objectives here today, and that is, first, I want to encourage all of you, and all of you that might be listening, wherever you are hearing this around the world, to participate in short-term overseas medical mission trips, and we're going to dive into why. Secondly, to show examples of how to structure a short-term short overseas medical missionary clinic, and then to show the value of vision specifically to break down barriers in overseas medical missionary work. So let's dive into number one, to encourage everyone to go. So we have to ask ourselves three questions, three, and there are three why questions. So the first is, why short-term overseas? Then the second one is, why overseas? And the third is, why medical mission? So why short-term? Some people are called to serve full-time somewhere in the world, which is fantastic. And, uh, but they have to be supported in some way for living expenses. So an uh, so, uh, organization needs to sponsor them, or they're going to have to work over there a little bit on the side, or something to, to be able to live and provide, or have somebody, a church, or somebody sponsor them, maybe a grant or a foundation. So short-term trips are something that it really allows everyone to experience serving others outside your normal environment in a way that you can normally save up uh, enough money to finance it yourself, you know, so uh, I know, Tom, what you've done, you know, with some of your um, savings there in your practice, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to dedicate that to mission work, and, you know, there's, there's ways that you can kind of plan ahead, and short term isn't so expensive as going for three years or something like that, and then it allows you also to have that fire for overseas missions 
But yet when you come back, you help finance those that are over there because you love missions now. And so you're, you're going to help people that you can't go full-time that are full-time because they need our help. And so then why overseas? So why overseas? I'm going to dive into this. No matter what your profession, whether you're a doctor, nurse, dentist, minister, teacher, it doesn't matter, you are called to serve those people that God puts in your path right where you are, right in your office, right in your um, clinic, your school, your church, wherever. That might be for me in Greenville, Tennessee, or it might be in Indian Wells, California, or Iquitos, Peru. So, so why overseas? We're gonna, I'm going to give you about eight or nine points why overseas. One, you get to see the world. This is my wife, and that is a sloth on her shoulder. And so, you know, it, we've had a few decades underneath our belts, and I never thought that I would ever hold a sloth uh, or see one in the wild, and um, let alone have one around my neck while I'm refracting a patient in the middle of the Amazon jungle at a little clinic down the Amazon River in Peru. So if you would have told me that a little baby sloth would be hanging onto my neck, watching me change lenses in front of a patient, I would have thought you were crazy. If you would have told me that 20 years ago when I was coming out of optometry school, I would have thought, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to be doing that. And yet, I did it. And look how interested he is. He's, he's checking out. He's probably correcting me and thinking, no, that's wrong. But, um, and then if you would have told me that I'd be hiking around Machu Picchu with my kids, I would have thought you were crazy. Okay? We got to spend a day there on the way home. If you would have told me that Dennis and I would be feeding um, toucans with food in my mouth and letting them pluck the food right out of my mouth in Costa Rica, I thought you would be crazy. If you would have told me that I'd be riding a double-humped Bactrim camel in Mongolia, I would have thought you were crazy. Versus the single hump, you know, the dromedaries that we uh, have here. And, uh, or watching a sunset walking amongst the, the gares in Mongolia. You know, you just don't see things. Or how about walking the Great Wall of China near Beijing on the way back from Mongolia at our layover that we had there. So you see the world. This also allows you to see and learn new cultures and taste new foods and things like that. So luckily you just ate, hopefully. But this is Moldovian food. Moldovan food, if you ever have a chance to eat it, eat it. It is so good. They fed us so well when we were in Moldova. You get to taste all of these things all the way around the world. Why overseas also? It forces you to learn at least, in part, a new language. Sembatsano, that's hello in Mongolian. Bunaziwa, good day in Romanian. Privyet, hello in Russian. And of course, quales mohor, uno or dos? Which is better, one or two? You make new friends when you go overseas. So these were two ladies in Mongolia that were just, I couldn't help myself. And they were, they were cracking up, and so was I. And um, beautiful little children in Moldova. Angela with some uh, ladies that, I believe these are the ones that fixed some of our food for us at one of the churches. Sweet, sweet ladies. You get to work with teams that you would never work with otherwise. So here's, a, here's our eye care team in Mongolia. You know, that, that it is written uh, organization that organized that trip uh, a couple of years ago. You know, we had 120 volunteers on that trip from all over the world. And if you notice, uh, standing next to me is Dr. Jacob Prabhakar from Eyes for India. And I would never have gotten an opportunity to work with him. There's uh, Peter Blackburn over here. He's a retina specialist out of um, Kentucky. And his daughters are there, Sydney and Sophie. Uh, Bob Durkos over here and his wife, Linda. They're, he's a retired optician. John Soule, who's over here, he's an um, ophthalmic technician, and he helped us. And then from our home church, uh, Kevin and Kezia Finley's not pictured here, but their um, daughters here, Kayla and Kieran, also helped in the vision clinics. And, and we, we, you get to meet people and work beside people from all over the world. What an opportunity. And then our students that we took to us to Moldova, uh, here and here, that's Judah Brass, and that is... Um, uh, Gerardo Miguel Perez, 
and their friends that they made, which later in the week came up, probably some of these right here even, for the altar call that our associate pastor made. And it's because of these relationships and encouraging, you know, it, you just make friends, and we still are in contact with people all over the world. And so it broadens your overall knowledge too. So why overseas? You want your, yourself and your family, and if you take your kids or anything, you want them to have a broad perspective of the world. You want them to be able to go to, into a Buddhist temple and see a Buddhist monk and, and how they worship. Because it, And then just to give you some perspective here, um, notice the gold legs right here. Okay, he's down here. That's a full-grown-sized man. And those are the legs right there. So he is looking up at this. And this is in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And you see this, and you get to show your kids the prayer wheels a-turning. You know, you've heard of that. That's the prayer wheels turning. And you, you get exposed to different religions. You understand when you go to other parts of the world that Christian-based nations are more privileged. God has blessed those nations versus the pagan nations. And... Uh, when nations turn away from God, the whole nation suffers. You see this when you travel the world. And those of you that have gone, you, you know this. So it actually cements your own religious um, experience and your conversations with your patients. I just talked about that experience right there that I just said about it, the, the traveling. I, I was speaking to a patient of mine about how it, it helps me know that Christianity is the best choice in the world. Specifically, of course, Seventh-day Adventist Christianity, but um, of the major religions. Number six, so there's, why overseas? Because there's far more poverty in other countries than in the United States. Now, there is poverty here. We have in Greenville, we get all the eye doctors that are willing to donate eye exams every year and do free vision clinics right in our hometown. We do that. And, uh, but there, the poor overseas are much more poor than we are. And so, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, Ellen White says, Never does the gospel put on an aspect of greater loveliness than when it, when it is brought to the most needy and destitute regions. Then it, is that, then it is that its light shines forth with the clearest radiance and greatest power. Most destitute regions... You know, and, and many of you have gone to more destitute regions than I have gone. And so um, that's where our message is most valuable. Yes. Okay, page 226. Yes, thank you. So the greater the need, the greater the impact. And then why overseas? Because number seven, it increases your faith. It makes you rely on God for things that you can't do. We are so self-sufficient here in the United States and, and in most places in the world that are well-developed. And God performs miracles for us every day. But you're more likely to realize the blatant miracles that God does for you overseas because of your own need of help over there. And I will give you an example. Um, and I might even talk about this. Well... I'll talk to you about this later here in the lecture. I've got actually pictures that will help. So faith is believing that God will do what he says he's going to do. Right? So there's many definitions of faith, but this is the basic one that I have heard, and this is my favorite. It means that I am going to believe that God is going to do for me and others what he said he's going to do and what the Bible says he's going to do. And when you see it firsthand, this faith in God grows. It grows for you, it grows for your family, and it grows for any kids that are on your trip or others in your, in your team. So let me give you an example. So we have a real nice autorefractor, uh, about a eight or so thousand dollar autorefractor that we take. It's portable. It, you can um, see it right here. Well, it's never given me problems ever before until we went to Mongolia and we started seeing hundreds of patients. So this thing was, you know, running out of battery, and we had to keep it plugged in. And there we were having, it was overheating, basically, okay? 
And so I didn't realize this. I'm seeing patients, and Kevin Finley is, and his daughter are in this room, and he's trying to reboot this thing 20 times. And the second, day, so he told me at the end of the day, Brad, I don't, we, this is really slowing us down. We, what's going on with this thing? And I'm like, I don't know. It's got to be overheating or something. So the second day we got to clinic, and he tried to turn it on, and the thing wouldn't even turn on. And we're like, oh, no. Because it's not that you couldn't do it without it, but, man, you, you, that means you're not going to see as many patients, and that means all those patients that you didn't see are not going to see any hope of love that, or what we came to do for them. Okay, And so you just hate to turn people away. And so we stopped right there. And we just, there was about four or five of us, whoever was near, I just said, come here, let's have a quick prayer. And so we, we prayed specifically that this, this autorefractor would work and would not give us trouble and that we could use it all the rest of the week. And so after that, it worked all day, and Kevin only had to reboot it one time. He only had to reboot it one time the whole rest of the week, and on Friday, he didn't have to reboot it at all. And then when we got to Moldova, it never gave us any trouble at all. So it has worked ever since then, okay? So that's a miracle because we were needing it. God knew we were needing it. We didn't have another one. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a principle in the Bible that I've learned, and that is, and Ellen White says this too, and that is, is that God wants to work with humanity together, with human effort, divine effort combined. And so when Jesus, his first miracle, if you remember, he turned the water to wine, but what did he tell him to do first? Fill the water jars, right? So fill the water jars, then I will do the miracle. In fact, I won't do the miracle until you actually pour it out. And when you pour it, then I'll do the miracle, okay? When did the water separate? You remember when they stepped in to cross the, the was it the Jordan or the Red Sea, the Jordan? And um, so when they had that faith and exercised it, said, okay. And then, then it was opened. Jesus could have flicked away the stone at the tomb, right? He didn't. He says, roll the tomb stone away, and then I, I will do the miracle for you. So when we go on mission trips... We want to do everything in our power, logically, learn from each other, and when you've done what you can do, now you can expect a miracle. It's not presumption at that point, okay? So this same principle is what I tell my patients. If you're an alcoholic and you find yourself at the bar on Saturday night, you're like, well, God's never delivered me from the bar. He, he, can, he could transplant me over here. Yeah, that's true, but, but don't place yourself in the bar if you're an alcoholic. You know, don't go where, do, do your part, and he will help strengthen you. I loved what, uh, was it Dr. Adams said today, earlier, you know, every, every temptation, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you sit down to eat. I, you know, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, Lord, I need your help. That's every day. That doesn't matter. That's a video game addict when he sits down in front of his video game. That is us when we sit down to eat. That is us when we start to gossip. It's us when everything. Your total reliance on God. This is what overseas medical mission does for us. It teaches that. And that is a lesson that we need. And most of us learn this. And that's why you come back and you hear everybody that comes back and say, I was more blessed than the people I went to help. Because it reminded you of your reliance on God. That's why you're blessed. And, that, and when you realize that, and in your weakness you're strong, then you've got something when you get home that you're going to benefit, that you can share with others. It's very, very valuable to go overseas as a result of that. This is the one uh, in Moldova. We, you know, we try to estimate what powers we're going to take with us on when we go on vision uh, clinic trips. Because you don't know, like, I knew Asians, because they're more nearsighted, right, uh, than, than, say, like in the United States or in South America. And so instead of taking a lot more plus powers, we were going to emphasize a little bit more, and Dennis and I talked about this too. So every time I go on a mission trip, we're downstairs in the basement of my building with, my, with some of my staff, and we're filling some of the boxes and bags and things like that. Before we do anything, we pray. And we're like, Lord, you know exactly who I'm going to see. You know exactly what I'm going to need. 
help, help us grab and fill these bags with what we are going to need over there. And so you just do what you can do. And so in Moldova, we were running out of plus powers, okay? So we had two churches left, I believe. And uh, so that morning, we uh, prayed, let's see, starting to run low on plus powers, trying to figure out what powers we still had available from the 1,200 pairs we brought. And so we're trying to figure this out. And so we prayed that we'd have patients that day with more minus prescriptions. And guess what? That particular region right there had mostly minus prescription patients, which we hadn't seen all week. Go figure. You know, God's in control. Then I see this lady, and this is the story I wanted to tell you earlier. She has a corneal trigium. You know, not, not a big deal, uh, but, you know, if they get worse, they can block the cornea, and you can lose vision, and, and very, very common in Peru. Not as common in Moldova, but this lady had bad ones, and we were there, and it's four, 14 degrees every morning, and uh, it's cold, and there's snow everywhere, and so I wanted her to have eye protection, specifically sunglasses, which we didn't take sunglasses with us that time, and so I, uh, she needs, a, she, but, but if I give her, and, and if we ever do take sunglasses, they're Plano sunglasses, or maybe a bifocal with a little reading area down there, and that, we don't take any other prescription reading glasses in the distance, and as far as I know, as Deo, you know, we don't get any of those, or I don't remember seeing any at least. And so I remember specifically in the basement, I'm like, okay, I'm not going close to the equator. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling all of the sunglasses out. So I had all my texts and everything. I said, pull, pull every, all the sunglasses out. And so they did. And um, I, I saw a couple that has snuck through. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's okay. Just leave it. And so I get over there, and so this lady's a plus 200 in the distance, and that means up close she's going to need like a plus 400 or plus 450 or something like that for reading. And I'm like, oh, Kazia. And she's a pharmacist, but she's actually working dispensing glasses this trip instead of medicine. And so I'm like, Kazia, any sunglasses left? Because I'm like, we don't have any sunglasses. And she's like, yeah. She goes, we've got one left, but the problem is that it's a, it's a distance vision only, and out of the 1,200 pairs that we brought, it's a plus two. Distance vision only, which is exactly what I wanted for this lady. When I came back and I told this story to my staff, they're like, no way. We pulled all the sunglasses out. Now, I knew they had missed one or two because I had seen them in the bags packing, and when I was so, but I'm like, you know what? God knew what he was doing. God knows what he's doing because I prayed for that. So I don't know if he did it in the basement of my building or if he had an angel just kind of drop it there behind our backs. Whatever the case, um, this lady had exactly the power that she needed that we don't even make in Asdeo, uh, our, our optometry association, when we go. So faith is contagious too. This is number eight. Why overseas? Because faith is contagious and it encourages believers and church members in that part of the world to do the same thing. Let me give you an example. So every clinic, we started with prayer, which most of you do as well, I'm sure. And so the volunteers are there, the translators are there, some of them are non-Adventist, some of them are non-Christian, and they would tell us what an encouragement we were to them. Because the people, they, they don't, in other parts of the world, they don't get humanitarian aid. I mean, they don't, they don't mentally get it. It's like they can't wrap their head around that, especially in an atheistic, communistic kind of background, because that's not... So let me give you an example. Ruslan um, tell, told us the story of his grandmother, I think it was, that went to the emergency room. And if you don't have money in Moldova, when you go to the emergency room for uh, an emergency, uh, they won't treat you. So the grandmother, I think, I can't remember if she had a stroke or she tripped and hit her head or something. She had to go to the ER. And they said, do you have money? And she said, I don't have money with me. Now, by the way, they all have insurance, okay? But you have to have money on top of the insurance. And so she, she goes, I don't have money with me, but my family's coming, and they will pay you when they get here. And they're like, we will treat you when your family gets here. She ended up dying in the emergency room, waiting room, because the family couldn't get there fast enough. 
This is the mindset they don't have. And it really frustrated Dr. Prabhakar, Jacob Prabhakar from Eyes for India, because he goes all over the world to help people. And there's this mindset of, of why would you help? The other uh, ophthalmologists, the other eye surgeons in there, they're like, we don't get paid extra to, if, we, if we did 20 extra surgeries today or last, you know, he does hundreds in a day. But I mean, you know, we don't get paid extra. Why should we do this? They don't wrap their head around why. Okay, like a Christian nation, like the United States, for example, or um, you know, Great Britain or something. So it's contagious. And so uh, we were at one village in Moldova, and the mayor stopped the clinic. So he came in, and he stops the clinic after he looks around, and, and I saw him and everything. And he stands up, and he said, um, I was just given a book on salvation. Okay, this is non-Adventist. He says, I was just given a book on salvation. And here's what he said to everybody, all the, all the people waiting and everything. He said, we've seen salvation today in these people. He says, these people are specialists in their field, but every one of us is a specialist in our own field. We should be using our talents to serve others like these people have served us today. Guess what he just got? He just got the Adventist health message. And he's preaching it to everybody for us because he saw us. Isn't that neat? And so when, they, when you see it overseas and, and they get it, and then the local conference people get it, and then when you come back and you give the reports at your church or wherever, then you encourage others to get it, and then it's, it's, it, it, you can have an influence. And so people are watching you. So, so why overseas as well is because Yes, it's really neat that we do the free vision clinics in our local town and all that. But when you go overseas, people are curious. People are kind of interested. Oh, you oh, you went to Mongolia. That's not a place that you'd normally go. Or you went to Peru or what, you know, and it, and it okay, that's interesting. And so on my website eastviewicare.com, you go there and on the I have a mission tab. So I have like, you know, okay, meet, meet the doctors, uh, our services, stuff like that on a normal website. But I have a, a I forgot what I even call it, mission trip or our mission efforts or something like that. And it goes, and, and I have a little blog there with pictures of these trips. And in that blog, I've got links to it is written, Maranatha, you know, People of Peru Project, these other organizations, and clink, clink, clink. clink. And so in that little blog, they, Greenville Adventist Academy. I, I've, I've got links in there to all these different organizations that help on this trip or organize this trip. So now, it's a, because what, why are we on this earth? We're on this earth to save souls. We have a message. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you have a message for the world. And that's our purpose. It's not to see 50 patients a day. It's, we have a message to the world. That just pays the bills and helps finance our primary job, and that's to spread the gospel. And so when you can get them linked to these other things, and then they can start seeing and see all these programs on the It Is Written website and all these other things, then you've just made planted seeds that are going to sprout when everything hits the fan later. I don't know if it's next year or 10 years. I don't know when. But when it does, these seeds are going to sprout. And it's our job to be planters of the seed, waterers of the seed, and, and Jesus is going to reap that harvest, and we are going to be right there to, to cry in joy when we see that. And then they ask multiple times, they said, so where are you going this year? And I'm like, oh, you know, if I don't have something planned, it's kind of like, well, this year I'm not doing any service in the Lord for the Lord. You know, they, that's how they would take it. I'm like, oh. I better, yeah, where am I going? What am I going to do this year? And they, my patients encourage me to go because I should go. Right, Dennis? That's what he kept telling me. So why medical mission? So Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and not glorify yourself. That's not why I have it on the website. Is to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Sorry. Councils on Health 337. Precious light has been given me concerning our sanitarium workers. These workers are to stand in moral dignity before God. Physicians make a mistake when they confine themselves exclusively to the routine of sanitarium work. 
or hospital work or office work because they consider their presence essential to the welfare of the institution. Every physician should see the necessity of exerting all the influence the Lord has given him in as wide of a sphere as possible. He is required to let his light shine before men that they may see his good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. This is a requirement that we've got. Men and women, doesn't matter. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you're not a, if you're not a physician, you still have that requirement, by the way. We all, all are required for that. Okay, so there's no question that strictly humanitarian aid is greatly needed all over the world, even here in the United States. But true, complete health involves more than physical well-being. It involves emotional well-being and, and spiritual well-being. Many times organizations go on humanitarian aid trips, but they neglect the emotional and especially they neglect the spiritual aspects of health. Going on a medical mission trip involves all three aspects of health. And it does here too, when, when Amen does you know, local clinics as well. The work of God, so this comes from 9 Testimonies 117. The work of God in this earth can never be finished. Can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Okay? If, if you're not, if, if they're not rallying together, it's not going to get done, is what she's saying. So why are we still here? Because we're not doing, as a people, what we should be doing. Okay? If we were doing exactly what we should be doing and the gospel went to the world, Jesus would come back. And we're told that over and over. Jesus could have come ere this. Many times Ellen White says that, continuing on the same uh, reference. The salvation of sinners requires, requires earnest personal labor. We are to bear to them the word of life, not to wait for them to come to us. Oh, that I could speak words to men and women that would arouse them to diligent action. The moments now granted to us are few. We are standing upon the very borders of the eternal world. We have no time to lose. You don't have time to go to a two-hour movie. You don't have time to waste three hours on a video game. You don't have time to, to waste time going to a sports arena for six hours or whatever. Let's, let's know where we are in Earth's history, the job that we have to do, and let's stop waiting to do it. And, and waiting for a different generation other than us to come by and do it. Okay, continuing. That last comment was not in 9T, by the way. Um, Every moment is golden and altogether too precious to be devoted merely to self-serving. This is why the, uh, the Optometry Association kind of is tried to shift a little bit and try to get more into, if we're going to spend the time, let's spend it in... in um, edifying each other at a, at a convention like Amen, and that's why we've teamed up with Amen. Um, so, who will seek God earnestly and, and draw strength, draw from him strength and grace to be his faithful workers in the missionary field? Now, this comes from the Review and Herald, May 9, 1912. Many have no faith in God and have lost confidence in man. But they appreciate the acts of sympathy and helpfulness. But they do appreciate acts of sympathy and helpfulness. As they see one with no inducement of earthly praise or compensation coming to their homes, ministering to the sick, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, comforting the sad, and tenderly pointing all to him of whose love and pity the human worker is but a messenger, as they see this, their hearts are touched. Gratitude springs up and faith is kindled. They see that God cares for them, and in His word is opened, and as His word, sorry, is opened, they are prepared to listen. Manuscript 58, 1901 says, "The world must have an antidote for sin, as the medical missionary work, as the medical missionary works intelligently to relieve suffering and save life, hearts are softened. Those who are helped are filled with gratitude. And as the medical missionary works upon the body, God works upon the heart. Now, what does heart equal? When, you know, it's talking about the mind. So God is working on their mind when you're helping them. And he's planting all kind of things in their mind as you're working with them. 
is, and I had an atheist in San Antonio when we were down there for Your Best Pathway to Hell, and he was talking about how he doesn't believe in God. And I just said, you know, I was talking to him, and one of the things I told him, I said, one of your proofs, one of your best proofs that there's a God is that there's over 1,200 volunteers that have taken time out of their work to pay for a plane ticket to fly here and help you. There's no reason that they would do that. To pay to help people, it's only through the power of God that anybody would do that. Because if you're of the world, that is not what you would do. Okay, You're not going to spend your money doing that or your time. This gratitude as well, as they, as they think about this positive experience that they've had with you as a minister of the gospel in, in all the aspects, do you remember the University of Wisconsin joy, um, resentment versus joy study that they did a few years back? And they took middle-aged women, and they were going to give them a flu shot, and before they gave them the flu shot, they said to this group, they said, we want you to think for seven minutes of something that just brings joy to your heart. The birth of your baby, you know, your wedding day, you know, whatever. The other group, they said, now we want you to think for seven minutes on something that just irks you. And then just ride, like a speeding ticket, you, didn't, you weren't speeding, or just makes you mad every time you think about it. We just want you to think about those things, that, something you resent, okay? That's all they asked them. Just think about that, and then they gave the whole group, all, both groups, the flu shot. Six months later, they bring these ladies back, and they check the specific antibody titer to that flu vaccine. And the group that had the joy thoughts had 50% more antibodies from six months ago than the group who had the thoughts of resentment. So that means today, your immune system could be affected from what you thought six months ago. That's powerful. So that means that about six months ago when we were in Moldova, right now, possibly... The women, at least, I didn't hear anything about men in that study, but maybe the women in Moldova, because they had a positive thought for seven minutes that I was there, have better health now, just based on that. You see what I'm saying? Now, that's a lot of extrapolation, and I understand that. But that's, you get the idea. Put joy in somebody's life. When, when the biggest compliment we get in my office is when patients tell me, you know, Every time I come in here, if I'm not in a good mood, I'm always in a good mood when we leave. And I get that all the time, and you probably do too. That's medical missionary work. Even if I didn't pray with them, even if I didn't have a 20-minute conversation about the Sabbath or anything, my staff knows this. Every week when we pray, we dedicate our next week to being showing God's love to the community. Okay, that's what we do. When I hire somebody, I don't ask them anything about their religion. I don't ask them anything. It's illegal. Okay, once they have the job, once they're hired, then I go to them and say, by the way, I'm a Christian, Seventh Avenue Christian, and I said we we pray at our staff meetings. Um, we we like to pray for our patients. My staff brings these prayer requests more than I do. My staff collects them, okay? Do I need to make accommodations for you? Are you okay with that? Luckily, I live in the Bible Belt, and so, it's, so everybody on my staff is on board with this. Even if they don't go to church, even if they haven't, they're not religious per se or anything like that, they are on board with it because this is contagious. And those people that are the least religious in my office many times have the most prayer requests. And uh, they are, re they remember, and they, they gather these and they bring them. And it's really neat to see. This is, this is what we need to be doing. This is Medical Missionary 239. 
medical missionary work brings to humanity the gospel of the release from suffering. Disease, remember, remember this, um, I forgot who presented this. Disease is dis-ease. So if, that means you're suffering from something if you've got disease, okay? So she says it, the, the gospel brings release from suffering. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. It is the gospel practiced, the compassion of Christ revealed. Of this work there is great need, and the world is open for it. God grant that the importance of medical missionary work shall be understood, and that new fields may be immediately entered. The gospel is good news. It's the good news that Jesus can release us from the bondage of sin. Okay? It's, it's really good news. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in my next lecture in the next hour. So, again, uh, this is from Manuscript 105, 1898. The mission of Christ was to heal the sick, encourage the hopeless, bind up the brokenhearted. This work of restoration is to be carried on among the needy, suffering ones of humanity. God calls us not only for your benevolence, but your cheerful countenance, your hopeful words, the grasp of your hand. Relieve some of God's afflicted ones. Some are sick, and hope has departed. Bring the sunlight to them. There are souls who have lost their courage. Speak to them. Pray for them. There are those who need the bread of life. Read to them from the Word of God. There is a soul sickness that no balm can reach, no medicine heal. Pray for these and bring them to Jesus Christ. And in all your work, Christ will be present to make impressions upon human hearts. This is the kind of medical missionary work to be done. Bring the sunshine of the Son of Righteousness into the room of the sick and suffering. And that's, that's what I try to... Uh, encourage my staff to do. This is education page page 309. In our life here earthly in, in our life here earthly sin restricted though it is the greatest joy and the highest education are in service. And in the future state, meaning heaven, untrammeled by the limitations of sinful humanity, it is in service that our greatest joy and our highest education will be found in service witnessing as ever we witness learning anew the riches of the glory of this mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory colossians 127 this is why at greenville Adventist academy the school board has kind of rallied behind the idea of mission trips because my wife and i were convicted of this several years ago and if this is where your greatest joy is, what do I want for my children? I want happiness for my children. I want them to experience the joy in service. Okay? So, I don't care what they do in life as long as they are doing it with an attitude of serving others. So, if you're an optometrist, great. If you're a ditch digger, great. But if you're an optometrist or a ditch digger and you go to work just to get a paycheck, one, it's a waste of your witness. And secondly, you're not going to have joy. If you're working for a paycheck, you're not going to be happy. Okay? Even if it's a big paycheck, which kind of helps a little bit, right? Oh, okay. But ultimately, the, look at Hollywood. I mean, they, they're committing suicide left and right, they're not happy. They don't have this attitude of greatest joy. And that's why, this is what Jesus is trying to tell us, is that he says, foxes have holes. I have no place to rest my head, okay? But simulate me, because you're going to be happy, and I will take care of you. That's, okay, that's a little long answer to this, you know, why uh, why question, the three why questions. But we, we covered, okay, short-term overseas medical mission trips. Now, let's go on to how to structure these. Uh, Mark Finley tells of this fantastic, so his, his friend um, told him of this fantastic beatitude, which applies to every day, but it, 
especially applies, in my opinion, on overseas mission trips. You know what the beatitude is? Blessed is he who is flexible, for he shall not break. Which I think is very, very good. And so nothing is going to go as planned on a mission trip. I shouldn't say nothing, but many things do not go as planned, as you know. And so um, there's physical needs. And so this was when we went to Peru, and there is Dr. Uh, Klaus Fenson right here, and so and his father-in-law, and so we had two physicians, and they were, and we had a, a couple of nurses, and they were doing um, a medical clinic on this side of the room, and then on this side was there I am right there, and I'm doing the vision clinic over there. And so we basically would go into whatever little community center that, you know, we could find, and we just split down right in the middle. He'd take half, I'd take half. I'd put my charts over their heads, my visual acuity charts. And um, so here they are, and counseling. Oh, Dr. Stiles, yeah, I forgot his name. And then uh, there I am. And so you can see, so here they are, and there's our charts way up there over their heads because we needed a little bit of distance. And... We just put our people behind them. And this was in Mongolia when we had the dental team with us. And uh, they had, uh, there's Dr. Orr that was in charge of the dental clinic. There's my uh, oldest daughter, Katie Jane. And there's that Kayla Finley. Dr. Jacob Prabacher and Dr. Peter Blackburn. They examined patients at the local hospital. And... Uh, Oh, Elizabeth Chung. So Elizabeth Chung was in our uh, rotation of the vision clinic, too, because what they did is the day off of all the medical clinics, the vision team would come in. And so we would go to, like, all six churches, and uh, she was assigned to rotate with us. She's really sweet. And then uh, here's this, uh, you know that sinking feeling in your office when you've got patients piling up and charts in the door, and it's like, oh, oh. You know, and you know, and then this person here has like extra stuff that you got to take care of, and they have not only glaucoma, but macular degeneration, cataracts, and all that. You're like, okay, there's another 20 minutes, and I'm just going to run behind. So you've got to get used to that feeling big time when you've got a whole room, and then the line goes outside, you know, how it is on an on a overseas medicine clinic. It's stressful, and you've got to kind of put that out of your mind. And um, <laughs> so it's like all of these people are watching you so you're on stage but you pray in our prayer at the beginning we know we're going to be on stage just like you're on stage in your office every day we are on stage and people are watching and they are going to watch how you react and your family is watching and you know how much you failed with your family just like i have failed with mine so but that's why you pray all the more because when you sense your need um, in my weakness, I'm strong. And uh, so th th it can be busy. So you go and you, um, while we were doing the vision clinics, the other, the other aspect of overseas missions, which we did, which I thought, at least on this trip, was really good, is we did, they contacted, the, the local pastors contacted the mayor of the villages that we went to and said, we're going to have a team of American teenagers coming what can they do for the village, for this town? And the mayor is like, oh. And, and they would come up with, they would get us in contact and the, with the people in need and, and different things around the city that these teams could do while I was doing the eye exams. So they were uh, visiting shut-ins and helping visit the homeless shelters, chopping wood, just visiting the neglected elderly, and they were neglected. And... Um, I think scrubbing the floors at one of the local community halls, delivering food. So we got um, physical needs, mental and emotional needs. And so in Mongolia, how we did this was when I go, I, I will pray a lot of times with my patients on the mission trips, but what's really good is to get the local people, the lo local Bible workers from the local churches there. And while they're sitting there, then they come and they pray and talk and invite them to their different meetings and all that because they're waiting in line anyhow. And so then they can ask them any special things I can pray with you today. And that, that means a lot from they can speak their own language. But then those Bible workers 
anything special like that, then they'll come and tell me, and I can have a special prayer with them if needed as well. And then what we did here at this church, they, the local church set up an outside little tent because otherwise they'd have to be standing, all these people in the sun, uh, they just sent this tent. And so in that tent were chairs and Bible workers. And so they would just talk and mingle, mingle among men. So they met your spiritual needs and emotional needs. And so uh, here's an example of one that needed special prayer and a couple more. And then, of course, John Bradshaw in the evening would do the evangelistic series. And uh, I think 1,100 people maybe were in that auditorium. Here's our, this is back in Moldova, and Pastor Alex Saria um, did our evangelism meetings that night. And that's Ruslan, the conference, the union secretary of Moldova, was a translator for him. And at the end of the week, this is what it's all about because a lot of these kids from the VBS programs that we did and even the adults that went to Pastor Alex's meetings came forward, gave their hearts to Christ. And you, you see this, and then you get addicted to, to overseas missions because then when you see this, as Angela likes to say, you know, we're crying there because we're like, okay, we actually made a difference just like you on your mission trips. And sometimes we don't see the difference. Sometimes we won't see the difference until we're gathered up in the clouds at the second coming. But God gives us sometimes enough to see, to keep us going, not to get prideful, but to keep us going. And as Angela likes to say, as the tears were coming down, it wasn't like, a oh, it's just tearing up a little bit. It was tears like dripping off your chin tears. Okay? It was powerful. Still makes me tear up when I think about it. Here's our VBS programs in Peru. And so there's many ways to do mission trips and um, more VBS programs in Moldova. The kids were involved. So you can, here's the thing that you definitely want to do when you go on an overseas medical mission clinic. And it's extremely helpful to team up with organizations who've done it before, have been in that country before and have contacts. So examples are, it is written, Maranatha, Quiet Hour. There's many more that you can go with. Um, Yves Monnier um, was our helper for our Moldova trip and Mongolia, but um, he, had, he knew Ruslan and he knew all the context. He knew what our needs would be and so he was able to guide us. And Maranatha is helping us go to Kenya and uh, Dennis and I went with Quiet Hour in um, you just have to have these local contacts and you have to have organizations that are very organized like these are and uh, they have the contacts and they know what uh, is safe there. They, it's, it's just really important, so team up with them. Um, and transportation, they, knew, they know how to contact for all of that. So here's how we structured these. Like Costa Rica, we had two eye doctors. In Peru, we had one eye doctor, two physicians. Mongolia, 120 of all specialties. And Moldova, just me. And so here's how we set it up in Moldova. This is the eye exam form that I was telling some of you about earlier. And so we have a little history station, then the, the autorefracting station where that little machine I was telling you about, the autorefractor was. Then we check their, their visual acuity both in the distance and up close. Now up close is optional, and I'll tell you, that obviously helps us but it's optional uh, because you can kind of tell when their age is filled out what kind of power you're going to need. But the reason you want near visual acuity is because it, it creates another contact point for the smile that they'll see in you, okay? So if they're waiting in line and there's 50 people in line, it's really nice to have somebody go and check near visual acuity because it, it gives them another point of positive contact. Does that make sense? So if you have an extra person on your team, just do it. If they do it wrong, it doesn't matter. You, you don't need that information necessarily. And so the, you think about these things uh, as you do it. So one, one we, I always have these black sheets that Angela has sh sewn together, and it helps keep their pupils bigger to get for that Welsh Allen spot uh, autorefractor to get a better reading. And so we always put Kevin, in, Kevin Finley in a dark room, or he builds these little cages with my sheets like this in Mongolia. So every place you go, and the, and the hard part about Mongolia was every day it's stressful because every day you got to come to a brand new little building, who knows how big it is, 
and set up a clinic in 20 minutes with, with good flow and the appropriate physical needs and all, tables and all that. And it's stressful, but the Lord provides. So um, we use a tumbling e-chart where you know they can just match it, and you can do that anywhere in the world pretty quick without a translator. And, but here's Katie Jane, and she's creating another contact point to bring the sunshine of the Son of Righteousness into the room. So here's this waiting room in there, and she's there going around the circle, and she's got a smile on her face. And then it's a little piece of data. So this is what I take. It's basic. You can buy a little lensometer straight from China on eBay for 99 bucks. You can, I take my direct uh, ophthalmoscope, I take a transilluminator, and I take a variety of flipper bars and lens cloth, and I take a 20 diopter, um, uh, my BIO lens, and I take some retinoscopy uh, bars there. I have my retinoscope with me as well if I need it, but it's, it's, I don't really use it that much because it's usually too bright in the room anyhow. And hand sanitizer, I highly recommend. And uh, some gloves so that if you have somebody that has a conjunctivitis or something, you can glove up and help them and try to take some. So this is my fancy slit lamp, you know. So here's, that's the only reason I bring my BIO lens is because it's 20 diopters of power, and then I put that on the slit setting, and you've got a, you've got a poor man's slit lamp. But it works, and it works slick. I've, I've, you can easily diagnose um, nuclear sclerotic cataracts with that. And long lines of people. So the, this line, here I am right there. This line goes all the way upstairs, and there's another 50 people in the sanctuary upstairs waiting on me. And so I'm like, so I, you don't want to turn these people away. You just don't. And so I'm, I'm thinking, in, in Moldova, it was a little bit tricky because they had to have speak Russian and Romanian, and you didn't know which. And so I finally said, you know what? I'm going to get two translators, and as he's getting the history from her, I'm going to do my job on her, tell, tell my translator what to tell her, and then by the time I'm over here. So I had two exam lanes going, and I would get up and walk back and forth. And that made all the difference. So that's something I learned that, man, and now, I'm not taking the time to pray with a patient, but I'm making a bigger impact, and I'm letting other people pray. So there's a trade-off there. But if I sense a need, it doesn't mean that I can't stop and make a special prayer if somebody brings somebody to me like that. So here's all of our uh, glasses that we bring. And I wanted to tell you oh, one thing here. One thing I've learned as well, okay, I've got to wrap this up, is when you pack up glasses, let's say you're going to take a 1,000 pairs of glasses, I have learned you don't put those all in one suitcase, okay? Because you will get stopped in customs. And so I have gone uh, to many places, and I will now separate them in bags of like 12 to 20, and those don't get stopped. And so when we have our team going, now if you're the only person going, you're going to have to put it in a couple suitcases or ship it ahead or whatever. But um, you, I disperse it. And I'll get 60 bags and take 1,200 pairs of glasses and nothing is set off. And, and you can go into the country. The Welsh Allen spot looks like a camera. So because if they sense that you've got something expensive, they're going to want to tax you to get it in the country, okay? So that's what we did. And I even put, when I went to Mongolia, I even put in the bag, I didn't put just plus twos in one bag. I put the whole spectrum in the bag. Now, when we got over there, then what happened is we had all these piles, but I knew we were going to have a little bit extra time over there, and so we had a big team. And so we took a couple hours and then re-put them in stacks in the appropriate powers. That way, if anything's confiscated, you have all the powers you still need. So you want to just tr think ahead and, and try to think and, and when you do the most you can do, then, then you can boldly ask, God, and I have said this because I've been stopped going to Peru, and, and I'm like, God, this is your problem. I'm here. I've done everything I know to do. It's on you. It's not on me. And when you can say that, we'll just stand back and watch the miracle happen, okay? 
So I encourage you to all go. We didn't get through all the slides, but overseas medical mission trips and little tidbits like this on how to set up the clinic and, and whatnot, it's very powerful. There's no wrong way to do it. There's, there's just a lack of workers to do it. And so any of you that can go, uh, I encourage you to go. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings, and we thank you for the opportunity to meet together. We ask that you um, help us to serve you in whatever capacity that you call us to, whether it's here at our homes or whether it's overseas. And we thank you for organizations like Asdeo and Amen and all the other organizations like it is written, Maranatha and more, that are um, there for... Uh, our benefit and that we can all work together so we ask that you bless each of these entities and bless uh, the rest of our time here in jesus name i pray amen this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.